Welcome back to Challenges of Faith radio program. I'm Gary McCants. I'd like to acknowledge God and our listeners. In a recent Law Enforcement Today article by Sarah Akey, former CIA employee sentenced to 40 years in prison following leak of hacking information to WikiLeaks that he said goes too far. Did you know that 34 terabytes of data equals about 2.2 billion pages of text? Well, it does. And that's just an estimate of how much data was stolen in a data breach within the CIA in 2016. Potentially worse than the amount of information stolen is the fact that the theft was not even discovered until about a year later. After nearly eight years, Joshua Schultz, the former CIA employee that carried out what is not known, now known to be the largest data leak in CIA history, has been sentenced to 40 years in prison. The U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District of New York made the announcement. Court records show that in the summer of 2015, Schultz's work environment began taking a hostile turn. Feuds arose between him and management and a co-worker, ultimately resulting in both Schultz and the co-worker being transferred. After Shoot filed for a restraining order against a co-worker, Schultz's role within the CIA was a computer engineer in the agency's Center for Cyber Intelligence. He created cyber tools with the ability to undetectably take data from computers. When CIA officials discussed hiring a contractor to build something similar to what he'd been working on, Schultz allegedly became enraged. According to court records, the theft of the cyber tools and source code was carried out and then transferred to WikiLeaks and what became known as Vault 7 and Vault 8 in the information dump. WikiLeaks included a press release indicating that the files, over 8,700 of them, were received Confidentially, the site said the source was concerned about privacy laws and the CIA going too far with its hacking abilities, including the TVs, phones, and even cars worldwide. WikiLeaks also indicated at the time that these advanced hacking cyber tools may be potentially in the hands of criminals. A few weeks ago, I shared on a an identity theft segment about my personal experiences as a victim and wanted to invite on someone who is an expert in cybersecurity, Adam Burt, the Vice President of Sales and Partnership from Quest Technology Management. Before joining Quest in 2010, Adam was an infantry officer in the United States Army, and his military experience includes Ranger School, and combat leadership experience with the 101st Airborne Division in Iraq as a rifle platoon leader. Adam also holds a Bachelor of Science degree in economics from the University of California, Davis. Prior to his current role, Adam was the Director of Partner Development, responsible for management and growth of Quest Channel and Partner Sales. Adam, welcome. The Challenges of Faith Radio Program. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity, and thank you for having me on. Hey, it's an honor having you on. 
First and foremost, how are you and your loved ones? Uh, doing well, sir. Doing well. Um, everyone is uh, happy and healthy. Just um, had a great weekend with the family. And, um, yeah, everyone's doing great, so thank you. Hey, that's an oh, honor all by itself. Oh, yes, I was blessed. I like to use that word to have had the honor of uh, being with one of my nieces in the, the District of Columbia and watched them get promoted, and and uh, it was all an honor. All right. Adam, what were your aspirations while growing up? Um, when, when growing up, I always um, actually uh, lived down the street. I grew up in Northern California, and there was a CHP officer who lived down the street from me, and he uh, taught people how to be uh, police officers in, in California, in the California Highway Patrol, and I saw him in his uniform, and I always thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So um, I uh, grew up wanting to be a police officer, and um, as I you know, got a little bit older, that transferred into uh, still wanting to um, be in uniform, but that kind of transitioned into more of a, uh aspirations to be an Army officer. Mm-hmm. Out there helping, helping from the global perspective, that's what it's all about. Why did you select economics as your field of study? Um, so my father went to UC Davis, uh, and he was a managerial economics major. Um, and when I went to Davis, I, um, always, uh, I grew up in a, in a, in a family that focused on, on business and understanding, you know, a little bit around sales. I always thought it was interesting. Uh, economics is not, is not a hard science. It's more of, you know, a soft science. It's kind of a, um, you get to look at data and understand why people do things and understand a little bit about not that the economy is a game, but it, it is a bit of a game. Um, and I, I tend to, I like to understand the rules of the game that I'm involved in playing. And I always kind of had fun trying to understand, hey, if you change the price of something, how is that demand going to change? If you change the demand of something, how is that price going to change? Um, I, always, I always enjoyed that part of it. Was not the best economic student. Um, I don't think I'm going to be invited to any um, <laughs> any uh, any Fed decisions or interest rate forecasting, but um, <laughs> but I graduated and uh, that was that was good. Say <laughs> so, so you got the knowledge. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Adam, how did your military leadership experience prepare you for your civilian roles? Um, so w- one thing that I think is is amazingly beneficial to folks who have been in any type of leadership position in the military or um, any type of combat experience or, you know, been able to, to, to serve in, in that regard. I think the, one of the biggest takeaways I've had in uh, the civilian world is uh, a notion of commander's intent. So w- when you learn about what, um, when you're on a mission, patrol, you have an objective, um, oftentimes, the biggest translation I think between military operations and the civilian world is if you can understand the commander's intent, basically you receive a mission and you're going to go achieve X, Y, and Z objective. If you can, if you can help, you know, move your unit forward to achieve that objective and understand what's, why am I actually doing this? What is the commander trying to achieve by taking this position by holding this intersection, by defending this location, or by, you know, helping to bring food to this location, what is the commander 
what, what, what is the intent for that mission? And in the civilian world, people can get bogged down with tasks and with bureaucracies and with, um, you know, kind of going through the, the, the steps. Um, if you can understand the commander's intent, why, why are we doing this? What's the, what's the ultimate objective for this mission? Um, that can really set you up for success in the civilian world. I'd say that, that probably was the biggest lesson, one of the largest lessons I learned from my military experience. Adam, your areas of specialties at Quest Technology and Management are application development, information security, computer networking, cybersecurity, data recovery, IT consulting. So let's talk about cybersecurity. And the reason why I opened the program as I did, listeners, is so that you have an idea, again, that we're looking at people's motives for doing whatever they're doing that may be harmful to you and I. Adam, what exactly is cybersecurity? Um, so, so a good way to think about cybersecurity is every every person, when you interact on the internet, on your computer, um, there are there are potential vulnerabilities for your information or for your company's information. Cybersecurity is the practice of putting in really layered defenses between you and people who wish to and potentially would do harm to you or take, take what you have uh, from a digital standpoint or sometimes from a physical standpoint. So they can try to take your personal information in order to establish credit somewhere else. They can try to take your company's information about clients in order to use that either against you or to gain a competitive advantage. Cybersecurity is really just, just think of it the same way you think about physical security. You have your video surveillance um, outside of your retail store. You have locks on your doors. Um, you have tags on your merchandise. You have, you know, the high valuable stuff behind the counter locked up. So you have layers of security as you go through your retail store. Um, same within the digital world. You have layers of security. So you have your firewalls. You have your virus protection. You have your password managers. You have layers of defense because bad actors are always trying to pick and trying to figure out an angle to get in to whatever whatever you're trying to protect. As individuals, we try to protect our you know our individual you know identity and our our you know our homes, our bank accounts, our you know whatever it is that's precious to us, our loved ones' information. Um, same thing in in the in the in the corporate and government world. What's important to those organizations? Their their clients, their um, their their bank accounts, their revenue streams, their communication platforms, their reputation, right? Brand brands are very very important in cybersecurity. You can really hurt someone's brand um, if if you get hacked. Um, so cybersecurity is just really the the practice around layered defense for what's important to you. <clears throat> Adam, thank you on behalf of all of us, especially the listeners who listen from a global perspective of breaking it down. You took the cookies from the top shelf and you made them clear. In, 2000, in December 2023, the Cyber News Research Team discovered a misconfigured MongoDB database belonging to Lecture Notes. The database was being updated in real time and exposed the personal and access data of users and app administrators. A total of 2,165,139 user records were compromised with the leaked data. Adam, what potentially happened here? 
yeah, so that 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 happened, um, and you know, what, I don't know exactly what happened in that case, but what it sounds like is they, there was a database that was exposed directly to um, to the internet. So if someone knew if someone knew the address of that database on the internet, they could log in and export files. Basically, it basically sounds like someone maybe locked the front door but left the side door open to the warehouse and no one was watching that side door. So there was no, there was no authentication, which just basically means there was no way for anyone who was trying to extract data from that database to prove that they were someone who had the authority and the right to do so. So they basically just, they basically just put that database up on the internet and did not, did not put on any type of additional authentication. Oftentimes when people create these databases and these information pools of users and things like that, the developers have the best intent, um, but, but sometimes they forget that the bad actors are out there um, and they forget that there's people who are gonna try to take what they have. And so this was a database that had all sorts of private information, all sorts of users, it was a big, um, it was a big, basically, uh, way for students and people to share notes about classes and here's what we learned today, here's what, and, and so everyone's kind of collaborating and everyone's kind of thinking, that, hey, is this a positive thing? We're all getting together, we're all helping each other. Um, when you're doing that, that's, that's a convenience, but the same, every time you move a convenience onto the internet or into the digital world, you have to understand and you have to, someone has to be minding the store every convenience forward, there's a tail behind that of potential risk. Every time you give, every time you give over a little bit of yourself to, uh, to, to be a little bit more convenient, a push start on your car, uh, a, a, a thermostat in your house that's connected to the internet, a, um, a, a digital door lock on your door. Every time you do that, yes, it's convenient, but you're also opening yourself up for a little bit of potential threat. And that's, wow. that's what happened here. It was, it was a great database. It was a great collaborative thing, but someone forgot to, someone forgot to remember that the wolf is out there. Mm. And sometimes people act a little bit too much like sheep and they don't need the, they don't like the sheep dog to be around because the sheep dog's going to remind you that there's something out there that wants to take you apart. Mm. And so, that's that's I think sometimes that not everybody likes the cybersecurity professionals because they're kind of the party pooper, right? They're kind of like the one who says like <laughs> they're kind of the one who says, "Hey guys, this is really cool," but but what about X, Y, and Z? You know, mm-hmm. they don't we don't get invited to a lot of parties. Mm-mm. Yeah, but but at the same time, for insurance firms and and uh, the executive or the CEO who understands that it costs them. Um, uh, long money in the long term if they if they do listen to you for today. Adam, was there anything preventative that could or should have been done by the affected organization? Um, yeah, so uh, putting authentication, uh, at least at least password protection. It sounds like they left default, what's called default passwords on the database. And so like, um, if you if you buy any type of appliance or any type of any any type of hardware um, appliance or any type of software appliance, oftentimes they come with de- what's called a default password. Mm-hmm. So everyone know everyone knows that password. It's like the manufacturer reset. So when you set something up new, you at least want to set up a new password. Um, 
change that default password because that default password is in basically think about it this way it's in every owner manual right so every every gmc model of xyz brand type of a car is going to have the same owner's manual right because they mass produce mm-hmm. it same it's no it's no different in the technology world it's no different in the database or the hardware world all these defaults are going to be are going to exist so you got to change the password so people so you know at least someone has the right password and then one of the best things and a lot of the cybersecurity insurance folks and all the enterprises and people are dealing with what's called multi-factor authentication which um you know if you access your bank account or other things you probably some a lot of people probably have experience with this is you type in your username and your password and then you get a text message or mm-hmm. another email saying hey please confirm this is you mm-hmm. um that that's a, that's a, that's a secondary factor of authentication there's there's all sorts of different ways you can do it but the concept is basically username and password and then you get a secondary um and sometimes third access of communication in the in the military we had we had cards we had you know basically card readers that you go you'd log into a into a machine you'd have to have your you'd have to know your password but then you also have to authenticate with a physical token um so there's a lot of different ways to do it but it's again it's that mm-hmm. layered defense how are you layering mm-hmm. your defense it, it can be inconvenient but but it's a layered defense I I spoke of uh, when I was talking about identity theft um, last week that um, it was an FTC governmental agency that let me know how personal information was out there on the dark web. And then I just uh, today had um, asked a state governmental agency, uh, how are they detecting individuals who, however way they've done it, to be able to gain a, a lot of money from them. You see, uh, it's like we can do all we, we citizenry or business owners can do all we can do and should do to prevent, you know, any type of crime or, or whatever the case may be from happening to us. But it's coming to my next question. It's kind of like, so what real responsibilities does the company have? And in this particular case, as we're talking about, what notification responsibility did that company have with the clients? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, if, you, if you take on, it's, it's similar to um, organizations when they take on and manage someone's like credit card information, right? A lot, of, a lot of firms are moving away from that because if you take on, take on holding someone's personally identifiable information, um, you're you're you can be liable if you go through a breach like so in healthcare especially is you see a lot of ramifications come out around um loss of identity or loss of healthcare records or a breach because that's just very very important to people um but yeah all companies that take on personal identifiable information um have a duty to protect that and then in the event there is a breach you know that notification should and I hate to use the word should, but <laughs> the, the, the notification should be should be reported to the appropriate government agency to basically say, hey, you know your your address, your your birth date, um, you know your next of kin, your emergency contact information has been has been um, compromised or at least suspected of compromised, and then those notifications go out because then as an individual 
it's it's disappointing that that that, that happens, but we don't necessarily get to control the universe. So mm-hmm. hey, that's mm-hmm. that that happened that happened. So what what can I do now? to protect my family and protect myself now that that's happened. So then mm-hmm. usually, usually on those breaches, I'm not sure if this was your experience, but usually on these, on those breaches, you know, there's some identity, um, identity and credit monitoring services mm-hmm. that are typically mm-hmm. provided. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely take advantage of those because mm-hmm. what happens when your when your information is compromised, your information is a commodity on what's called the dark web. So, it, the, your information is a commodity that's traded. It's it's sold. It's it's hey, I have this gentleman's information. I know his birthday. I know his you know his mother's maiden name. I know you know his password to his Gmail account or whatever it might be. You, they, people sell that. That has a value. So they sell that to other people who then take the next step to either try to compromise you further or try to set up false identity actions on your behalf or establish credit on your behalf, different types of things. But your information is the, is the bedrock to, to all sorts of different choose your own adventures of bad actors and they, and they sell mm-hmm. it. It's, like it's a commodity. So that's where mm-hmm. I put, you know, Hey, now that you're breached, Hey, I can, um, you know, it's best to put monitoring in place and, and, mm-hmm. and, and do the, do the best with the situation you have. Adam, what is, ransomware and why did it increase 68 percent last year so ransomware is the is the um it, it's organized crime so to just think of it as as organized crime and it, it's an organized crime that goes after company or a government entity and what it does is they somehow gain access to the environment Usually about 75% of the time it's through an end user, someone like me or you, opening up an email and clicking on a link and downloading what's called um, malicious software, so malware. That software, once it's compromised you, this is often the way it happens, will call back home to the mothership, if you will, somewhere in another country or another server and bounce off and then begin to download the rest of the package. That package will then usually go out and search your network. So if you're on, say you're on a Fortune 500 company, you open something up, you basically create a gateway for that bad actor to get into your environment and to get onto your company's network. And then what, the, what that package will do, it'll find critical infrastructure and a lot of applications, everything that we run our daily lives on, are built on databases and information. And what ransomware will do is it will encrypt that data and basically encrypt the, the environment that makes that application or that business run. And then you'll get a really nasty image or notification on your screens once they own your databases. And they'll say, basically, you're notified, hey, congratulations, you are now completely owned by XYZ bad actors and you need to pay X amount of Bitcoin or digital currency to this digital wallet and we'll give you the key to unlock your environment. Mm-hmm. So what they do mm-hmm. is they, they, ta- they target people who have money or they target government agencies that have you know, insurance policies against this 
and they hold their entire system's ransom. They stop all business, and they, they shut down the firm, and they say, if you want your information back, or if you want us not to leak these healthcare records, that's going to cost you $10 million. We're going to pay, pay, pay us $2 million in, in um, uh, and really digital currency. I talked about earlier the whole idea of like you, you, get, you, you add convenience to your life, but you also add risk. Bitcoin is a perfect example of that. Bitcoin, one of the biggest reasons that ransomware has been so effective over the last, and you mentioned 64, 65% growth last year. One of the reasons it's grown so, prolific, so prolifically over the last couple of years is because people can pay the ransom and there's no way for the, for the government around the world to track that transaction, transaction. Now they're getting better mm -hmm. at it, but in the old days when you hold someone for ransom or when you were extorting someone, there was always, you know, everyone's heard the, the term follow the money. Well, you follow the money to figure out who are the actual bad actors, you know, financing terrorism. Who are the actual bad actors financing that, that event? You can always follow the money. Bitcoin and, and everyone going to cloud applications and remote users and everyone working from home and all these, there's a lot of holes in the, in the corporate IT environments and the government IT environments. So that that remote workforce and the cloud growth along with the idea that people can pay ransom to bad actors and no one can trace that money. It, it made it, it's kind of, it's kind of a perfect storm for, for ransomware. And basically it's, it's just, it's corporate and government extortion. They're just extorting money from people by, by holding their business hostage mm -hmm. and, and, and Bitcoin and cloud and remote work. It's all kind of a, it's all kind of a combination of, of leading to that growth. What I'd like to do is take a moment and, and really thank you, Adam, for breaking it all down and sharing with us. You know, a lot of uh, cybersecurity experts wanted to be in your place today to expound, and, and I'm thankful that uh, Galen Herbert led me uh, to you because you are landed out for all of us. Adam, why are cybersecurity experts worried about devices such as smart TVs being linked to the Internet? Um, couple, well, a couple of reasons. That, so, you know, that's an additional IP address and an additional um, – there's, there's, a, there's a threat out there called denial of service. And one, one way to, to take down a network is to basically launch an all-out assault um, from, from the Internet. And when I say all-out assault, like pretend that type into Google or when you type into a search engine or when you go to a website um, for a new product, you're, you're hitting that website with, uh, with a request. When you start putting all sorts of smart devices and things on the Internet, um, there, you can, bad actors can use those, they're kind of, you can call them dumb devices, they can, you can use those dumb devices to help with denial of service attacks. So like I can, I can take control of your refrigerator, or your toaster, or your door locks, and I can say, hey, please send inquiries to XYZ, XYZ, um, uh, XYZ page or um, web, web application, and you can basically drown it with, with requests. 
So you take these mm. devices that aren't that smart and you can basically turn them into zombies, if you will, that <laughs> act on your behalf, right? Mm. They act on your behalf mm. and they can take – so you basically – every new device, again, the con, you add the convenience, you add the threat. So if you, add, if you add these devices to the Internet, it's fantastic. You know, your refrigerator can tell you when you're low on milk when you're driving home so you can, you can grab milk, right? That's a great thing. It's mm-hmm. really convenient. That same refrigerator can also be part of a denial of service attack against power company. So imagine a natural disaster and, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the power company goes down and you, it's trying to get back up. And a bad actor takes advantage of that by flooding their phone lines or by flooding their, their digital presence online, and they can't communicate with their, with their people because you have you know, 2,000 um, refrigerators in the area just spamming, spamming their, their website where people could, use, um, could try to be, let them know they need help for power or, or anything like that. So that's a random example, but that's one way you add more convenience, you also add more threat. And then also, as an individual, really, really think about what you're bringing into your home. Really think about, do I want a listening device in my house all the time? Because there have been aspects where people, like that database we talked about with the breach earlier, right? They left mm-hmm. the, the, the username and password. If your TV has a microphone, if your TV has a camera, connect that to the internet and you don't change the default password and mm-hmm. someone and for somehow that gets exposed directly to the internet and it's not behind a firewall and you don't have layered security, you're basically saying to the entire world, you can look into and you can listen into my home. Mm-hmm. And, and and you don't necessarily want to think that when you're hanging out at Best Buy looking at the brand new 72 inch plasma <laughs> screen TV, you know, you don't want to necessarily think about that, but that is what you're doing if you, if you don't kind of take the steps to change the password, make sure you have a firewall, and you, know, and, and you, have, you, know, you have some basic security in, in, in place. Now, not everyone's going to be a target, but that's just one aspect of it. You're adding convenience to your home. That's great. But you're also – you need to kind of take on the, the, the responsibility of – Okay, how am I going to how am I going to secure my family? How am I going to make sure you know our privacy is protected? You know, there are some mm-hmm. terrible stories around you know baby monitors and things like that that were easily hacked. You know, and everyone has wireless in their home now, right? So mm-hmm. if you have wireless in your home, if you have wireless in your home, people people can drive down the street and pick mm-hmm. up the wireless signal that you have broadcasting from your wireless access points. So if you're, mm-hmm. we all like, to, and again, we all love the convenience of coming home, you know, throwing the car keys on the counter and popping on Netflix on the iPad while it's connected to Bluetooth or, or wireless. But you have to know if you're broadcasting that signal to your kid's iPad, you're broadcasting that signal out onto the street too. Mm-hmm. So how is that signal secured? How, how are you, how, how are you protecting that password? If you're leaving, if your answer is, well, I, Comcast came in and they set up the wireless access point and I just left it there. Good luck. Mm, That's not mm, good. Mm, so. mm, mm. All right. So what can we as citizens do to prevent ourselves from becoming a victim? 
That's a great question. Um, you know, I think I think just being aware of uh, being aware of a little bit of, and I don't I don't like saying think like a bad guy, but every once in a while, try to assess your risk of what you're doing, and and like we talked about, always try to layer some put some buffers between you and you know potential bad actors, right? So change your passwords. Don't do the same password thing for every single every single you know application you use. I know it's tempting to do that, but Try not to do that. Um, take advantage of identity monitoring tools that are complementary. Oftentimes, a lot of our, a lot of if you if you have you know if you have credit established or anything like that, a lot of times the banking institutions you work with or the credit providers or monitors will provide complementary credit monitoring services. Um, because if, if you're not changing anything on your information, those are great services to take advantage of. Um, and then just try to you know try to try to be mindful of of what you're bringing into your home and then how you're connecting don't don't click on the link if it looks weird or if it looks off if it looks a little funny and you're not expecting an email from that person 75% of the threats that we see in our industry um, happen at the end what's called the end user level so the individual the individual makes the decision to click the link or open the attachment um, if you're not expecting it, don't open it. If you're not, you know, pick up the pick up the phone and confirm that that person meant to send you that attachment. You know, get a little bit more, a little bit more. Try to be a little bit more skeptical of, uh, you know, some of those communications that come in. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's always good to be aware. Especially if uh, <laughs> if somebody send you something on your cell phone telling you to pick up a package from the post office when you know that's just not. Not the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love our U.S. Postal Service, but I, I have never received a, I've never seen a concierge call from my mailman. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Adam, let's turn toward Quest Technology Management. Quest is a leading global technology management firm for over 30 years, have worked seamlessly with clients to achieve their IT and business goals. You place clients' needs first, and their ongoing success is your top priority. And your first question to your potential and client is, how can you help? Without giving away trade secrets, what specific services does Quest Technology Management offer to clients? Yeah, no, so thanks for that uh, question. We Quest is an uh, IT services firm that helps kind of with every aspect of technology from physical infrastructure. So we talked a little bit about wireless and um, uh, physical networks. So, you know, pulling cabling and, and, and building out, you know, new infrastructure. So helping with, um, you know, long uh, boring and trenching, um, data center creation, things like that. And then we help with applications, right? So we help organizations get the most out of, you know, their Microsoft environments or um, those those types of investments. You know, we've been a long-time partner with some large um, networking folks around like, like Cisco and other uh, HP and um, other, other firms like that. Really what we do is mm -hmm. there are tons of great products out there, tons of great services. We help organizations deploy, manage, and maintain their IT environments. So we help their people with like help desk services. Uh, we help their IT organizations with security services. 
Uh, we help their CFOs and their risk managers with disaster recovery. So we, we operate a couple of data centers in Northern California, uh, and then we operate about 16 data centers um, around the rest of the United States and a few overseas as well, where organizations host their applications, cure their applications there, we secure their end users, um, and really and really just kind of deliver um, as much as we can, as much as help as they're looking for. Um, there are some great folks in the IT industry. Uh, there are some fantastic people that we work with, and we're, our goal is really just to understand, you know, what do they not have, um, and you know, what what value can we bring from an IT standpoint? If that's engineering, if that's physical, you know, construction and development of of new infrastructure, um, or if that's you know, from a security perspective, we we kind of we kind of pass a lot of different uh, verticals within the IT space. Adam, as Vice President of Sales and Partnership, what does your role entail? So my my, my role really entails um, uh, being a uh, a proponent of our approach to the market and trying to uh, recruit as many partners and folks that would like to leverage our services um, to, to, to do more uh, with their clients. So uh, my, my role here has been growing our, our partner organization, um, really going out into the marketplace and some firms work with telecommunications, some firms work with security, some firms you know, work with hardware and software resale to end users. My job is to go see if they would like to um, add some of our services and our capabilities to what they're already doing today for their clients. Um, it's, a, it's a massive market, huge um, opportunity out there in the IT space for anyone that's, that, that's willing to help and really you know, do what you say you're going to do. Um, it's, a, it's a massive opportunity, and my job has been to um, – go out and, you know, promote our company, our brand, uh, what, how we can help, and uh, see if anyone would like to, you know, partner up and help their clients do more. How can interested listeners and companies contact you? Yeah, so our website is www.questsys.com. That's our website. And then if you're interested in any type of partnerships or anything like that, partners at questsys.com um, is, our, is our partner email as well. And that's, uh, those are probably the best, the best ways to contact us. And listeners, you can also find Adam's information in our show notes as well. Adam, any final words for our listeners? No, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to join the, the program today. It was an honor. Um, and thank you very much, sir. Hey, it's an honor having you on. And come back anytime you so desire to share any new developments that you would have our listeners to know about so that we can take the knowledge that you're presenting to us, factual knowledge, educational knowledge, to apply it to our own environment. Thanks again for coming on Challenges of Faith radio program.